And then luckily after the transplant, my donor sent me this beautiful card about her own journey to wholeness, she called it. It's actually going to make me teary. Um, that she herself had felt this move toward wholeness by donating her kidney mm-hmm. to me. And it was such a blessing that she gave me to make me feel um, a little less guilty or indebted because of this organ that she had given me. This is Lori Lee. A transplant isn't an event that happens exclusively to the organ recipient. It also has a major impact on the family of a recipient or organ donor and often results in complex situations and relationship dynamics. Carol Offen and Betsy Crace are co-authors of The Insider's Guide to Living Kidney Donation, Everything You Need to Know If You Give or Get the Greatest Gift. Their book provides non-technical guidance for living donors and kidney patients considering or dealing with a transplant, from medical information to the impact on family relationships. Patient or donor, it's critical to consider all of the issues and to be well-informed. Carol and Betsy, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to have you on as guests today. Happy to be there. Yes, it's nice to meet you finally. So I'm curious to hear how your stories intertwined. Um, who has the first part of the transplant story that brought you two together? Well, Carol, you want to start with how we met? Oh, goodness. Okay. That that goes back quite a ways. Uh, Our daughters were in Girl Scouts together. Um, Well, about 20 years ago, maybe more. And we uh, shared a pump tent on a uh, camping trip. (laughs) And you really bond when you share a two by four, two by four sleeping space. And, um, years later we, um, our paths crossed again when, uh, I guess you, Betsy would have been the first then to, um, be dealing with transplant. So you want me to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So what happened with you first, Betsy? Um, so I, um, was a um, doctoral student, the university of Madison or university of Wisconsin at Madison and um, began having gastrointestinal problems, went to see a gastroenterologist and found out I had polycystic kidney disease. I was pretty shocked because my mother, who I ultimately found out had it, um, had never told anybody in the family, maybe my dad, but not the rest of us kids. And so that night I called her and said, oh, you know, I have this polycystic kidney disease. Have you heard of this? She said, oh, yes, I have it. And I just couldn't believe it. And But my parents were Depression-era parents, and parents of that day didn't talk about medical issues or in being in the hospital or anything else. So she just never thought to bring it up. And she did say to me that night, that's not the reason that you're having problems. This disease, polycystic kidney disease or PKD, is not usually associated with those kinds of gastro problems. Tell them to keep looking. 
Um, so of course I just was shocked and went to the library to try to find what I could. And there was a little bit here and there in medical texts, but really nothing else. Um, and so even at that time, I started thinking, gosh, why is there so little about this disease, particularly the sort of family side and the personal side of it? Well, fast forward then a number of years, um, and I began to lose kidney function gradually, and my nephrologist began to let me know that I was ultimately going to have to have a transplant or dialysis or both. And I did have tra- uh, dialysis. Um, they what what told, year was that, that, like, that you went on dialysis? Um, let's see. That was 2003. And I um, was only on dialysis for four months because they had already found a donor for me, we thought, through my husband. And things were going along. He went through testing and we were almost at the very end. And we had already plotted out when the surgery was going to be Thanksgiving of that year of 2003. Um, then to find out because of the melanoma that he had, which we had reported early on, he was disqualified at the very end. Oh, so it was very um, heartbreaking. And my nephrologist said, you know, I think we should just go ahead. Let's go ahead and do the surgery. I had in November my kidneys removed, and then for four months while I recovered, um, I was on dialysis for those four months. In the meantime, one of my colleagues at work had stepped up to volunteer. Her name is Linda Watson, and we still work together over all these years. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so she volunteered, and um, during spring break of 2004, we did the surgery. And um, luckily, it was very successful, and it went really well. That's a beautiful story. And so your mom all this time knew that she had it, but she must not have been having symptoms if... That's right. That's right. In fact, she did not have any symptoms until almost in her 80s. Wow, that's incredible. That's pretty cool for that disease, isn't it? Yes, it is. And so um, it ended up being three of us out of the four daughters who had polycystic kidney disease. So as I said to many people, the good part was we had our own support group. So luckily, by the time I ended up having a transplant, my older sister had already undergone a transplant. Um, and then some years later, my other sister had a transplant. Wow. So so three out of the four of you have had yes, one? Exactly. And did the fourth sister donate to one of you? No, um, she had some other complications that she couldn't donate to us. So we were, yeah, so we were pretty much on our own. <laughs> Congratulations on so many successful transplant stories in your family. Yes, exactly. So, Carol, our audience probably thought that you were going to be the donor in this story, but you're not. <laughs> so how do, how do you tie into this story? Well, I'm a donor. I'm just not Betsy's donor. Um, I never imagined that I would ever be or could ever be uh, a kidney donor. I think like most of us, uh, I didn't know the first thing about donation and transplant until it hit our own family. Um, my son, uh, was diagnosed with kidney disease when he was in college. Uh, we had no family history. He, uh, didn't have any risk factors. He had a strep infection and that caused the, the nephritis. And, uh, he was otherwise healthy, but a couple of months after he graduated from college, we found out that his kidneys were failing. He was going to need dialysis and a kidney transplant as soon as possible. And, um, as I always tell people, I was not the obvious choice. I'm, I'm a wimp. I, I, um, I fainted flu shots. I, I can, I can actually pass out if I really think hard about a medical procedure, you know, whether I'm seeing needles or not, you know, but you know, when your kid's life is at stake, you do, you know, a lot of things you didn't think you could do. 
but it turned out for me that it was so much easier than, than I had thought it was going to be. And so much easier than I think most people think that we talk about this a lot in the book that because of the laparoscopic surgery, it's so much easier. And the support system I had, the, um, the transplant team was just so understanding and flexible. And I, so while we, we had some delays, long delays before, uh, I could be tested. And so he wound up being on dialysis for 20 months and that wow, was, as a college kid, he had just, just gotten out of college. So as a 20 something, and it was hell. It was, it dominated his life here. He thought he was going to get a new apartment and job and, and, uh, suddenly his life was dominated by it and it dominated his time and sapped his energy. But even worse than that, it just, he had no interest in anything. He had no time for anything, but he just had no interest. He was really depressed and it was just heartbreaking for us all to watch what he was going through. And all he could think about was transplant. So I went through, you know, my initial thing of, oh, yes, of course, I want to be tested. And, oh, you know, can I really do this? I went through all the ups and downs. So by the time we were ready to start the testing, I I knew what I wanted to do. And I even realized at some point that each time I wait to get the results of a test and you know, I kind of wondered if I were eliminated right now, would I secretly be relieved, you know, that, you know, I'd gone through this and, but I couldn't do it. And it was a real revelation to realize that, no, I'd be crushed. Um, not only did I have to do it, I really wanted to do it. I, so much had happened by then and what we'd seen him go through that I, I, I wanted to be the one to, to end the nightmare for him. And I did. And, um, like I said, it was, it was so much easier than I expected and even more gratifying than I thought. I mean, I knew that the difference it would make in his life would be, would be worth all of it. But I had no idea of just on a basic human level what it would mean to be a donor. And I know that you know this well, but uh, not Betsy, but sorry, uh, Lori. It's a really powerful feeling to realize that you could make that kind of a difference in somebody, anybody's life. And um, the fact that it was someone I loved made it all the more special. And that was 15 and a half years ago. He's doing well and I'm doing well. And that that's why we wanted readers to know just what's involved and educate people and share what we what we learned the hard way. So you got to give them life twice, essentially. That's exactly what the uh, donor coordinator whispered to me one day. When you were considering donation, you found that you didn't have the re- you couldn't easily find resources out there, though, in terms of what to expect and you know before, after, during. Is can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, there really, there was, this was before living donor support groups on Facebook. In fact, Facebook wasn't even in my life. This was in 2004 when, uh, he was, his kidney started failing. Um, this was before Google. So libraries and bookstores, there was, there were medical type things. There were things on 
kidney disease, I had nothing on, on living donation. And I didn't know anybody. The, what we always say the silver lining for Betsy and the, the tragedy was that so many people in her family were affected. And this was before there were um, NKF peers and living donor buddies and all sorts of wonderful programs and uh, books like the book that Betsy and I wrote together. This is the book that we wish had been available that covered all of the the more personal and practical things, not just the clinical. So I had no idea what to expect with, you know, the evaluation. I mean, they tell you, you know, at the transplant center, but in those days, they didn't really tell you all that much. And like, I mean, on, you know, what's on the website now and all that. And, you know, so we put in the, in the book, the kind of details, I mean, how invasive is this test that you're going to take? What is it for? How long does it last? In addition to our book, people can at least look things up. I was overwhelmed when I started to look to write the book, to do our research. And so we wanted to vet it, all this topic for, for readers, for potential donors, for potential transplant recipients. Yeah. So let's, let's back up a second. So, uh, you find out your son needs a transplant and you think, uh, what was that woman's name from Girl Scouts? I should contact her. How did that happen? How did you reconnect? Actually, I, I remembered her name quite well. We still crossed paths. Our, our kids had gone separate ways, but we still crossed paths. And I think Betsy, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we were at a, actually some Girl Scout award dinner and you mentioned that you were having your transplant the next month or week or something. I mean, it was really, and we had just found out that Paul had a kidney disease, not we didn't know we needed a transplant at that point. So we knew that we had that connection. And when, when Paul's kidney started failing, then um, the first person I reached out to was Betsy to see, would she be willing to come talk to us and answer some of his questions? And that was just phenomenal. So helpful, Betsy. Yeah, well, and I, I felt the same way. My sister did that for me. You know, she came and um, helped me during the transplant right there in the hospital. And when something would happen that I'd be a little concerned about, she'd say, no, 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 that's usual. That is something that happened. And so I was able to share some of that with Paul and, of course, his family, you know, to um, hopefully ease his anxiety or fears about the upcoming surgery and what was going to happen before and during and after. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention about that I was really missing is um, I was missing what Carol mentioned before, some of the personal things about how does it feel? Um, how do you relate to your family? What information do you provide to your family? And I felt like um, in many ways, I I did the right things in some things. I set up a meal you know, meals on wheels sort of thing with my friends. They all signed up for meals. Um, they actually had a driving Miss Betsy to take me to dialysis um, list that they all worked on. So there were some of the things I did right, but the sort of personal emotional things I just wasn't thinking about. My kids were fairly young then. My son was about 10. My daughter was almost 15, which is a very 
hard age anyway. And um, I'm such an optimist that what I really did to them, anytime this would come up, I would say, it's going to be fine. You know, I'm, I'm really healthy. Otherwise, no problems. Let's not worry about it. I sent them to school on the day that I went to have, you know, surgery um, to have my kidney removed. And, um, and then similarly, when my head, my kidney, um, new kidney four months later, um, I just wasn't really aware of it. And what helped me be aware of it is some therapy. My daughter was in a um, support group for young teens. And um, I then periodically, my husband and I would meet with the person who ran the group to talk about our shared knowledge and information. And she disclosed to me some of the concerns that Rachel had had about me and particularly about her dad. If he was going to be my donor, she was worried that we would both die. And that we, she and her brother would be without parents. So it was just heartbreaking. And then several things about the school after the transplant was over in retrospect, them set up some therapy for our family. And it was so wonderful to have somebody to talk to, to sort of guide us through that process. I only wish that I had done it earlier yeah. than before so that yeah. we could have benefited and my kids wouldn't have been so anxious. The other part of this is my husband is a worry wart and, and, and admittedly so. And so anytime something would come up, he would say, oh, let's not talk about it. Your mom's going to be fine. Let's move on. So here were both parents really kind of shutting down the kids when they wanted to bring up fears or concerns about me. Um, so those are just some of the kinds of things. The book also has a chapter then by this same therapist. And um, and she talks about working with other families with kidney disease and different scenarios and what to think about and how to think about talking to your family and talking to your kids about it. So we've tried to put in the book the things that we felt like were missing from what what we had experienced or didn't get to experience because we didn't know to think about these things. I just wanted to mention that Betsy talks about her missteps in the book. And so it's really powerful because then her daughter, Rachel, has a chapter telling what she went through and in a very, very open, uncensored way. And, and it's, it's just very powerful. Um, yeah. And through the book, we've tried to, Carol and I have tried to, you know, sort of put in tips, if you will, you know, at several places along the way for people to think about. Like I talked about um, these issues that I had not been aware of, that my kids needed different things. Each one had their own needs, as did my husband. And I wasn't really thinking about their individual needs because it's really easy in the donation process to be so focused on yourself because everyone else is. And I don't think I was being selfish. I think I was just going with the flow and wasn't really turning to my family to think about, gosh, what are their needs and what can I yeah. do with them? And so we do have a number of aspects in the book. There's a, um, a story of a caregiver who is the caregiver. Her husband is a um, recipient. And so she talks about ca caregiving for him and what missteps she made. Um, and there are several stories like that who I think can shed some light on and, and then the tips that Carol and I have given about what to think about, what to do and how to handle things. You know, one thing I love about your book is that um, it really shines a light on the fact that transplant doesn't just happen to the patient getting a kidney. It happens to the donor. It happens to the family of the donor and the family of the recipient. And the caretaker, I think the caretaker is somebody who's very often forgotten in this mix. And um, it can be a difficult journey for a caretaker. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And so, you know, I think we've tried to put guidance in the book and, you know, we have lots of things in there, a glossary of terms for people. We have frequently asked questions so people can go to particular questions that they might have to get their answers immediately. Um, and then, as we say, there are a number of books, chapters in the book that telling different people's stories of how they came about either giving or receiving this wonderful gift. You know, the, the person who donated willingly without even knowing who the donor was going to be. You know, I mean, I think we all hold that person up as a hero in a lot of ways. And and so, you know, giving of themselves. I mean, obviously, Carol, I feel the same way about Carol and my my donor. One of the things that I didn't mention is that I've now had another transplant, Lori. This summer, in fact, the last really year or two, my transplant was 17 years old. My original transplant was 17 years old. And at about the 15-year mark, it began to just decline in numbers. And so over time, I realized that I was going to need to go back on dialysis and have a transplant. Um, Another colleague, actually, uh, from Vanderbilt, um, stepped up and offered to be my donor. But then in the meantime, I began to have problems. Once I went on dialysis, I began to have problems with my liver. And we ultimately realized I needed a liver and a kidney. So in the end of May of 2021, I had a liver and kidney transplant. And um, so have twice blessed, as they say. Um, twice this- blessed, but also you published a book during all of that as well. That's pretty well, incredible. Well, book was in production, literally, yeah. <laughs> while Betsy, Betsy got the call and we were on the phone because we had we had a uh, new round of design proofs and she was still feeling fine. She was just waiting. And so, all right, let me just ask you about this. <laughs> so she said, timing. okay, I'll be right there for my transplant. And then you guys finished your conversation about chapter 12. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah. <laughs> And so then through the summer, as I recovered, you know, the book was in process. So that was great that it came out in September. And by then I was much better and, you know, pretty much healed by then. Congratulations on your second transplant. Yes. Yes. It's exciting. Um, It's interesting that you, you said one of the stories that sticks out is about a a non-directed donor because you talk about um, relationships in your book and, in a lot of ways, I think a non-directed donor has less opportunity for a complicated situation to arise. Because if you don't know who got your kidney, you you know, there's there's no relationship to complicate. <laughs> Whereas with family members, it's different. Yes. Did you come at, across any stories from people who had a complicated family situation? I know lots of non-directed donors have complicated relationships with their family's reaction to the fact that they were about to give to a stranger. And actually, one of one of the more uh, memorable stories uh, is actually of someone who ultimately didn't donate. She um, she does have a chapter because she's an, an advocate. She tested at two different. She went through evaluation at two different hospitals twice to donate to a good friend. And at the last minute, the night before, they canceled the surgery because they felt that her kidney function, her own kidney function was too low. And as she says, you know, she realized afterwards at the time she was, she was devastated, but she realized afterwards that the system worked. She, she was not encouraged to come through for the recipient. They were looking at, at her health and it made her more mindful of her own kidney health and her health in general. And she realized that you don't have to donate 
a bodily organ to support donation. And she, and I think that that's a really important message that I not personally want to convey, even though I'm a donor, that I would never judge somebody for deciding not to donate. Um, it's a big decision. And it's not right for everybody. And there's all sorts of, of valid reasons not to. And our biggest point, I think, that we want to do with this book is to get people to understand what's involved and to be open to considering it. And, and sure, we certainly hope that more people will consider it and more people will do it, but we want them to be, to make an informed choice. And right now, not enough is known. Nine people out of 10 I know who have donated didn't know the first thing about it beforehand. I'm not unusual that way. And I always say intelligent, educated, engaged people I know have very, very little knowledge of living donation. And we got to fix that. And so the first step is fixing that and making it better known so that people will be more open and to know, you know, I don't have to be a family member to donate to that person I just heard about or that person at church. So um, how, how, what are you doing to get your book out there so that people who don't know it's important yet get their hands on your book? We're, we're reaching out to folks like you, <laughs> um, you know, appearing on podcasts and, you know, really, um, Carol and I will talk about this topic a long, long time. And for as long as anyone asks, you know, we've reached out to some transplant centers around the country to, you know, certainly area libraries. And uh, we are using social media to try to get the word out. And Carol is quite the blogger. And so she, you know, has a number of people who respond to her blog and then tweet and um, send out further tweets. So I think all of those methods have helped us. Um, but it's, you know, it's slow going. And, and I think that's, you know, what happens when you have a new book that you want to share. You know, we're just hoping that more people will become aware of it and um, go through this process and think about, gosh, could I be a donor? And what would it mean for me? And what would it mean for my family? Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I feel like when I talk to both donors and recipients, it's really common to hear, I wish I would have had a buddy. And it's almost like people don't realize they needed one until after the experience happened. And then they're like, well, God, I wish I would have known this. And I wish I would, somebody would have told me that. And, you know, you, you guys both had your experiences or at least your, your first one back when there weren't a lot of resources and you found your own buddies and that's just how it was. You had to seek one out, but it's so easy to find a buddy now. And, and I'm grateful that there's a book like yours where somebody can pick it up and start thinking about the things that other donors and other recipients wish they would have known before donating or receiving a transplant. The Insider's Guide to Living Kidney Donation is available in a variety of formats and places, including Amazon. If you know somebody on a transplant or organ donation journey, it's an easy read and a truly fantastic resource. You can find links in our show notes to order a book or to check out Carol's blog, which is ranked number two of the top 30 kidney donor blogs. Join me next month for a controversial episode with economist Frank McCormick, where we will discuss his belief that the kidney shortage could be eliminated if the government compensated living donors. This is one you won't want to miss. This is Lori Lee. You can find me at DonorDiaries.com. If you're enjoying Donor Diaries, please make sure to like and subscribe so that as we drop episodes, you'll know. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.